There's power in the name of Jesus, and I thank him so much for allowing us to use his name. He said, I want you to use my name. In my name, he said. Sickness can be healed and disease can be healed. People can be set free from habits and addictions and all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. In fact, Larry, that name is so strong, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'm just waiting on that to land. If you ask anything, anything, if, if you, if you, if you ask, if you ask anything, anything, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, is that in that, in that Bible that we preach out of and we read? And, uh, well, if we believe the rest of it, why can't we believe that? How much more should we believe that? In fact, in Mark chapter 16, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe, not them that preach. Not them that pray, but them that believe. Not them that shout and run out, but them that believe. In my name, they shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. In my name, they shall cast out devils. In my name, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Boy, there's protection in that verse. You need to learn that verse. 16, 17 of Mark. Don't forget it. Hang it on the wall. Write it on your mirror. Get a sticky and put it on the mirror before you comb your hair. Amen. Get that verse inside you because it's so important. So important. And God gave you a tremendous weapon when he gave you the word of God and then he gave you his name. Amen. Nehemiah, our hero, Last week when we left him, he was weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. Boy, what a wonderful testimony he has for revival. That's a formula for revival that never misses. If God's people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray, then will we hear from heaven and he will heal our land and forgive our sins. We need a God like that to touch our country today. Our country is in disarray. Our country is divided. Our, our country is, is torn apart and ripped apart. Every device that Satan can use, he's throwing at the church and at our country in this last day. Amen. We're just moments away from an announcement of a war. In fact, last night they were talking about, are we really at war? And one of the uh, generals, one of the high-ranking officials said, well, they're shooting at us and we're shooting at them. I call that war. Can America go through another war? Are we unified enough? 
to go through a war? Are we willing to sacrifice enough to go through a war? Are we willing to be a, a part? Are we willing to be all in in order to win a war? There was a very wise person who said, when you see all of these things, when you see nations rise against nations, when you see wars and rumors of wars, when you see pestilence and you see earthquakes in diverse places and you, you see all of these things happening all over the globe, tsunamis and climate change as they call it. He said, then know that the end is near. Amen. Nehemiah wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. He was a man of passion. Oh, how the church of the living God needs passion. You need passion. I need to preach with passion. These singers need to sing with passion. We need to teach our Sunday school class with passion. We need to come on Wednesday night and study the Word of God with passion. Everything we do, we need to be passionate about it. What are you talking about passion, Brother Jerry? Well, some of you can't wait to get home to turn on the TV to see if Green Bay can beat San Francisco today. Whatever that feeling is you got, that passion that you've got, that's, the, that, that's where your worship is. That's where you got whatever you're passionate about, that's who you're worshiping. Come on, somebody. That's what's, what's got a hold of you is what you're passionate about. And oh, I would to God we could get passionate about the Great Commission. I would to God Harvest could get passionate about having revival and be restorative to be revivalistic and be of a mind to, to, to serve the Lord with all your heart. I would to God we could stir. We talked preached about that last week, about being stirred. We talked about Paul being stirred for revival when he saw Athens, Greece, totally given to idolatry. In fact, we made the statement about the Lord Jesus. The comment was made about him, he stirreth up the people. Oh, there's something about Jesus that stirs us. There's something about the presence and the anointing of God that stirs us. So when we left our hero last week, he was passionate, and he was fasting, and he was praying. Now, I, I want to tell you, it's noticeable when someone fasts and prays. Their countenance changes. When someone becomes so serious with God that they're willing to push their plate back. When someone becomes so serious with God and so passionate about God that they mourn and they weep and they pray to the God of heaven about the condition that is around them, something that they care a lot about, something they're very passionate about. This culture is leading people away from church. This culture is leading us away from assembling ourselves together as you are right here today. And if you live long enough, you'll see the day come when houses of worship will sit empty. And you'll order up whatever sermon you want to listen to and you'll punch a button so that you can hear whatever song you want to hear. Worship will be in your own hands in the days of the future, should the Lord tarry. But I want to tell you, that's not the plan of God. That's unbiblical. It's not the plan of God. The Bible tells us we're not, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
It's God's will that the people of God, worshipers, and the body of Christ comes together to celebrate communion, to celebrate the lordship of Jesus, to celebrate the authenticity of God's word and celebrate the things that make for peace in our life, to celebrate our justification and celebrate our sanctification and celebrate the Spirit's ministry among us. It's God's will that we assemble ourselves in order to do that. In order to do that, this prophet of God named Nehemiah, the, we're in the exilic period. The exilic period is a time of 70 years. God told Jeremiah, he said, I have determined 70 years. Now, Daniel's got 70. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the first one, he said, they're going to be held in exile. I, I'm going to allow a foreign power to come in and invade Israel and take captive and carry the young people, the bright people, and the and the pretty people and the smart people and the intelligent people and carry them away into Babylon because my people have not heard my voice. My people have not kept my statutes. My people have not walked in, my, in all of my ways. My people have, have turned their back on the temple and turned their back on worship and turned their back on, on atonement and turned their back on all of those things. And as a result, I, I must... As a God of judgment, I must also chastise them. God loves us enough that he won't let you keep going in your error. And the Bible tells us in the year 529, I believe it is, when the Chaldeans and the Ur, the Ur and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, we would call them, came in and invaded Israel and carried all the the furniture and all of the utensils and all of the plates and all of the knives and all of the tables, everything that pertained to worship of God carried it away unto Babylon. And the exilic period lasted 70 years. But God said something to Jeremiah before that, that happened. He said, go and buy a parcel of land. Hmm. God said, go buy some property. Well, my Lord, God, we're about to go into exile for 70 years. You've, you've told me, convinced me that there's going to be a time that we're going to be off in, 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 in bondage in Babylon and learn another language and get other names and be exposed to another culture. And God, we're going to be in, in terrible straits for 70 years, but you want me to buy some property? God said, yeah, you're going to need it when you come back. You've got a future. This is not permanent. This is not forever. I'm glad chastisement doesn't last forever, aren't you? I'm glad that God, God puts, he said, I will not, not be angry forever. I will not always be chastening. I, I, I will at one time extend a hand of mercy, and I will extend healing, and I will extend revival and restoration and reconciliation and welcome you back, and I'll bring you back after you learn the lesson. Andre Crouch used to sing a, a, a song, Through It All. And one of the verses said, For if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve it. I wouldn't know what faith in God can do. Faith in God can do mighty things. 
Nehemiah had, had learned that if I fast and if I pray and I, I mourn, that I will hear from heaven. If I call upon God, I will hear from heaven. But there came about a change in him. Had a cush job, had a plush job, had a great job. He was cupbearer to the king, eating the best food, sleeping in the dry, good, dry, warm place all the time. Had it made. But he became sorrowful and he became sad. Let's read in Nehemiah chapter 2. We've left chapter 1. Let's go into chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king, and I had not been sad in his presence before. In other words, I tried to be consistent as a person that was taken captive from another country, I tried to, to be positive and I tried to, to be, be faithful and I tried to appear that I had it all together and I was working it out all right. But he said, I was not sad in his presence, but he noticed something different about me. In the year or the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought, I took the wine and gave it to the king, did my job. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me why. The king noticed something about me that was different, and the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? I don't think you're ill. This can be nothing else but a sad heart you got a broken heart you've heard something or something's happened in your life that has broke your heart is there anybody in this house that's ever had nobody else you didn't tell anybody about it but something broke your heart and you carried it on and on for months well it's four months here that he's been going through this ordeal before he realized that there's a, 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 a another day coming and God says I don't God says the king said I don't think you're ill I don't think you're sick I'm not sick and I've been eating the same food you give to me and I've been drinking the same wine that you give to me so I'm not sick so I know you're not sick so something's wrong because your face is so sad why have you got that countenance of such a broken-hearted person? Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been so broken-hearted that you weren't frowning or mad or anything like that, but people around you knew that person's got a broken heart? Broken heart. Could I tell you that there are many families that members of that family have broken hearts. I don't go a, a day or a week without somebody telling me about some brokenness in their heart. I, I just about every day, I'm, I'm almost equipped myself to meet it because I, I know that because of who I am and what I do that people are going to tell me about some of those things. And though Nehemiah had not shared it with the king before, he was such a broken heart that his countenance, this is nothing else but sorrow in your heart. And then that made me really afraid. The only thing that could make him afraid when he had sorrow like that is that he didn't know what to do about the sorrow. 
the fear that goes with not knowing what to do. Am I going to be all right? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to pull through this? Am I going to come out of this sadness and sorrow and this brokenness? Is there ever going to come a time when this, this is going to be over and, and, I, and I get better? Sometimes fear of the unknown is more hurtful and more painful than fear of an object you know is there. You know how to fight that battle. You know how to deal with that. But when you don't know what the enemy really is and how he really works and how he really proposes to use a device, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, well, what do you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. Why? Because I had no more answers. I couldn't tell the king what I wanted. I couldn't tell him uh, this needs to happen or I need to get, acquire this or I, I need to do this or take care of that matter. I didn't know what to tell him. I had no answer. Have you ever been so broken that you had no answer? And people around you knew you were hurting and people around you knew you were broken. But to their question of why, you could never find an answer. I didn't have an answer, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, you see, this king is King Xerxes I. He's known all over the world as a, a, a military leader. He's conquered many, many nations. He has provinces in the Persian Empire all over the known world. He's got governors in each one of these, these uh, provinces, and he has this Jewish guy that he's befriended and trusts and has confidence in and has integrity with him. They can, they can share and can talk, and he realizes there's something. Notice in this chapter the, that different date. Did you notice in, in the first chapter there it was the month of Kislev, and now it is the month of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, of the Hebrew calendar. One is Kislev is in December. It's our December. It's the Jewish name for our December. Nisan is the Jewish name for our April. In December, usually, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. In December, usually, it's dead of winter. It's cold. There's not a lot to be excited about. It's basically dead all around us. But Nisan, the month that is now in our record in chapter 2, it's four months later and it's Easter time. Things that were dead in the winter have now come alive in April. And suddenly there's reason to feel better about things. Hey, there is truism about this thing of weather can make you feel. You get the doldrums sometimes. Over on a bright, sunshiny day, you jump up and say, What a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. 
God said, what a beautiful day to come to church. What a beautiful day for anything. Praise God, it's just a beautiful day today. But brother, when that old misty rain and the dark outside and you hear that and lightning flashes over the and say, oh, Lord, I think I'll just cover up and stay in the bed. <laughs> and April is when we celebrate something called Easter. Easter? Yeah, Easter. What happens at Easter? The Son of God. Yeah. Amen. Purchased for us a future through the power of his resurrection. The Son of God, amen, rose from the grave and broke the bonds of death. The Son of God, upon the first day of the week, said, I am arisen indeed. The Son of God rose from the tomb and purchased for us eternal life. Amen. That if there be no resurrection, then is Christ not raised. But now Christ is raised and become the first fruits of them that slept. Praise God, what a wonderful time Nisan is. For it's the Easter month. It's the time of coming alive. And for many people who have a broken heart, there must be an Easter for you. There must be a time when God brings about resurrection power to bring the old you back, to bring a resurrection, the one you thought you had buried that would never smile again, that would never be happy again, that would never experience anything again. God has got a resurrecting power for you through the power of the Holy Spirit. For if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus be in you, then he that raised up Christ shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you thank God for the promise of resurrection we have a resurrection in our life most certainly when God brings us out of an experience that Satan intended to hold us forever you know there are people that are tied in addiction and habits bad relationships and bad associations that the devil's got a grip on them and they think they just can't ever live life again with any happiness or peace. Well, I want to tell you there's a resurrection that God has for you. There's new life in Christ that's available for you. You don't have to sit in darkness and sit in bondage and sit in sadness and sorrow forever. God has willed for you a glorious resurrection. I pray to God that some of you this morning on the strength of this message and by the power of the Holy Spirit will experience a resurrection that you'll come to life that the things you thought were dead never to be uh, to living again and never to be resurrected. I pray that the day will be a resurrection time for you that you'll find life and peace and blessedness and hope in God's house today wow so this king noticed that he had a sad look on his face but it's a time for things to change we can presume that because he was a man of prayer Nehemiah prayed and he was waiting for God to indicate the right time and suddenly it's Nisan Suddenly it's time. Have you ever prayed for God's time to come? Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your time come for deliverance. Let your time come for healing. Let your time come, O oh Lord. We know that everything under the sun has a time apported to it. 
There's a time to live, a time to die, a time to rise up, a time to sit down. There's a time for all things. Well, I want to tell you, sometimes you know, it's, oh, God, bring that time of refreshing. God, bring that time of rejoicing. God, bring about that time of salvation and grace and, and spiritual liberty in Christ. God, bring about that, that time of miracles, that time when there will be refreshing before the Lord and when there will be, what does it say, a pouring out of the Spirit in the last days? Not a sprinkling and not a dab, but a pouring out. Oh, blessed God. I want God to give us one of those pour-outs, don't you? I want somebody to say, my Lord, the power of God fell this morning. God just poured out his spirit upon us. How long has it been since you was in a service when the Holy Ghost was poured out? How long has it been since you were so blessed by the presence of God that it was just such an atmosphere? Amen. I love to sit in an atmosphere like that. Very few times in my life that I've just been in a place where, where I just felt so overwhelmed with the Spirit of God and the presence of God. I've had him come in my study many times. I've, I've jumped up from the, from the computer and danced a jig and shouted a hallelujah when I'd come across some spiritual truth or gold nugget in God's Word. And it would just excite me, so I'd just jump up and throw my antennas up and say, Glory to God! Thank you, Jesus! What's that, Pastor? That's Pentecostal. Some of you hadn't felt it in so long, you about forgot what it's like. I pray that God will do something for you this morning and give you a resurrection where you can remember what it feels like to be Pentecostal. I, I, I pray that you will have an awakening, a reconciliation, a, a rewarding, trans, transforming new life to where you experience Pentecost like you've never experienced it before. I want to tell you, we've just about let Pentecostal fire go out. We've about sat on our seat of do nothing until we've just about let that flame die out. It'll take a big fan to fan that smoldering coal to get it burning again. But I want to tell you, God longs to do in his people. Hallelujah. What you think is a good measure. God says, I want to run that over. I want to do more than you expect. I want to do more than you can imagine. I want to pour out more power, more spirit, more anointing, more deliverance, more healing, more blessing than you've ever experienced in your life. God says, I'll, I want that for you. And God said to Nehemiah, I said, I want that for you, and I want you to be an instrument. I want to I bless you so you can be a blessing. God still works in people's lives. We're hasty and impatient creatures. We want our prayers answered today or even yesterday. We pray and we expect God's answer right away, but God often delays his answer. Sometimes when God delays his answer and says, not right now, not now, he is actually helping us by saying, not now. Because there's many things that if they occurred the way we want them, we wouldn't be able to uh, be at our best in the middle of that. 
God will never trust you with an anointing that's greater than your integrity and your walk with Him. He will never pour out more spirit upon you than you're able to hold in your vessel. You remember when the blessing came at the widow woman's house and she had a terrible attitude, thought they were about to die, and the man of God said, there's a blessing coming, and said, go and find every vessel you can get, and said, go to your neighbor's house and borrow their vessels, not a few. Go next door, stand on the curb. Have you got anything that'll hold anything? Have you got a tub? Have you got a pan? Have you got a dipper? Have you got a bucket? Have you got a vase? Have you got, got anything I can put something in? Why is that? Because God said, go get me vessels as many as I could find. And as many as I could find, he would fill them up with provision and blessing from on high. Oh, I would to God this morning that the church of the living God could realize God is not a pauper. God is not a, not a beggar. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got provision that you know not of. He's got wealth that you don't know anything about. And if he tells you, go get some vessels so I can fill them up, then hunt everything you can find. Woo! Glory to God. When God told him, this is the first time he'd ever allowed it to appear, but apparently his concern is so great it breaks through his control. The king noticed immediately, and he asked him, why are you so sad? Nehemiah tells him that his response to the question was, I was very much afraid. Brother, there is a fear that's good. The Bible said, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. The Bible said that things are, are blessed and accrue to them that fear Him. Them that fear Him. In fact, the Bible said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's hear what is the duty of man. What is the whole duty? First on the list, fear God. Could I just sneak over here for a minute to tell you America has got a problem because they've lost their fear of God. They put pressure on preachers. Don't preach about judgment. Don't preach about sin. Don't preach about hell. Don't preach about any of those things. People don't want to hear that stuff. That makes them feel bad. They won't come back if you make them feel bad. Come on, somebody. Brother, if I get committed to preaching only feel-good sermons, you're in trouble. The day that my goal is to appease you, to win your approval, get some high marks, then I have missed the whole objective of preaching. Right. 
Preaching is about a message. Preaching is about a messenger. And let me tell you, the power is in the message. The authority is in the message. The truth is in the message. Deliverance is in the message. Freedom is in the message. Anointing is in the message. Power to believe God is in the message. Oh, you need a messenger that will focus on the message and preach to you the message because it's the truth and the truth shall set you free. Glory to God. That wall was something that Nehemiah had such a heavy burden about. It's got to be rebuilt. It's got to be put back in place. But Nehemiah was just such a man that God needed to do the work. Hallelujah. He was trustworthy. He was reliable. He could be depended upon. Though this is a moment of danger, it's also a moment of great opportunity. For Nehemiah immediately senses that this is God's open door. How many of you know that God opens doors? That's the way I mainly determine the will of God is open doors. And I found out sometimes, Susan, he shuts a door. We don't like it when God shuts the door. Come on, somebody. But sometimes God will shut the door. But I found out that if your motives are sincere and your relationship is right, God only shuts one door so he can open a better door. And so many times you get angry with him for shutting the door when he really has in store for you something so much better than where you are now doing what you're doing now. God's got something better, so he'll close that door hoping to turn you toward a better one. Listen to this. No good thing will God withhold from them that love him. Oh, my brother and my sister, if God knows it's good for you, God will get it to you. I said he will get it to you. If it's something that will build you up, that will help you, that encourage you, that will bless you and strengthen you, if God knows you that that would be good for you, God says, I want you to have that. Oh, Lord, please give me the Holy Spirit. He says, okay. We make those processes so difficult. But can I tell you, God is a wonderful God who wants good things for you. Hey, if I wanted Don to have this piece of paper, if I want him to have it, I walk over to where he is, which means I got to leave where I am, and I go to where Don is. And where Don is may not be as good as where I was. Things might have been a whole lot better for me over there where I was. But the person that needs what I've got to offer in his life, he's here. Woo! 
And if I extend it to him and say, take that. Do you see how simple that was? Oh, Brother Mathis was a member of the church over at Crumley's Chapel on your district. Brother Mathis told my daddy, he said, Brother Irwin, said, I want to testify tonight before you preach. Now, that's always dangerous. <laughs> but for some reason, my daddy said, okay, Brother Mathis. He said, I got something I want to say. Daddy said, okay. When daddy got up to preach that night, he said, glad to have Brother Mathis with us tonight. He said, Brother Mathis said, wanted to say something. He said, go ahead, Brother Mathis. And Brother Mathis got up and said, first off, I want to thank God for this good salvation. And second, I want to tell all of you people that seeking God in these altars not to get discouraged, for I sought the Lord for 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. Boy, you're talking about discouraging if I was seeking the Holy Ghost and somebody told me they sought it 40 years. I believe that would be more discouraging than it would be encouraging. Could I tell you God wants you to be full of the Holy Ghost? Could I tell you that God wants you to have the Spirit of God abiding in your heart? Could I tell you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is unto you and it's to your children? It's to your children's children. It's to them that are afar off as many as the Lord thy God shall call. Oh, yes. Verse 5, and I answered the king. If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Ooh. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Let's get this now. Nehemiah has finally got the courage, the instruction from the Lord that the king is going to be the source. He's the one that's going to provide what you need for this project. You believe God lines up support and God lines up resources and God lines up and conditions things and sets them in favor? I said, do you believe God blesses you with favor? It pleased the king, found favor in his sight. Let me go to Judah where my fathers are buried. Now that struck a note with the king because all kings of dynasties back in that time, they were really concerned about where they were going to be buried. And proof of that is when you go with me over into Israel, hadn't been a long time. It's not like it used to be. But there, you, if you're fortunate enough to get to Egypt in on the trip, you'll see pyramids where kings were very, very particular about where they were buried. So when Nehemiah said to this King Darius, King Xerxes, he said to him, he said, I want to go back and rebuild the walls and that place is precious to me because my ancestors, my father, my people are buried there. You know, I'm, I'm thankful to have a heritage. 
in the church. My Lord, I've been in church all of my life. My, my granddad pioneered a church in 1925 and set a church in order. They'd started a, a little Pentecostal church in their house. And itinerant preachers would come through. And this is way, way back. My grandmother came in the church of God in 1908, 1910, somewhere along in there, when there wasn't but three or four churches in Alabama. My grandmother, she was one of those old-time Holy Ghost filled. She'd get on an old organ and she'd play that organ and throw her head back and she'd sing, Oh, that city on Mount Zion, when I reach that city on a hill. She'd sing, clap her hands, rejoice in the Lord. She died when my dad was about nine years old. My granddad started that church at Kelly's Ferry, Tennessee. They owned a ferry down there and put people across the river on a ferry. And my granddad started a church in that old building up there, 1925. Boy, thank God for that. Granddad was an ordained minister in the church for 54 years. Daddy was somewhere around 57, 58 years. I'm already over 50. <laughs> Holding up pretty good, huh? But you know what thrills me, Larry, is people that don't have a heritage in the church. That they, they don't know about Holy Ghost baptism and about those things. They, they never have been around that any time in their lives. And they come in and, and receive the fullness of the gospel. And their testimony is, I didn't know there was anything like this. I'd have been here a long time ago if I'd have known there was something like this. I thank God for my heritage, and I thank God for where God has brought us from. Ne Nehemiah had a heritage, and he thanked God, and he moved the heart of the king. And he said to the king, he said, I also said to him, if it please the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates? That's the provinces that were west of the, on the west bank, what we call it now. So that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence I will occupy and because the gracious hand of my God because the gracious hand of my God was upon me the king granted me my request because the hand of God was upon me the king granted me my request. Oh, brother, if you want to find favor, you get in touch with God, get linked up with God, and God will give you favor. I said God will give you favor. Did, did, you, did you read past that little bit there about when, he, when I went in to see the king about the timbers and the gates and about all the men I would need? I asked him to give me a guard. 
I asked him to give me some soldiers that would ride along with me to ensure safe travel till I could get to Judah because I knew we was going to have to pass through this Transjordan area and that's where Syria is and that's where Amman is and that's where Jordan and all of those states that hate Israel. And I know if those kings hear that I'm coming through to go back and rebuild walls at Jerusalem, they'll want to kill me. So I'm going to ask you, king, if you'll assign some soldiers to go along with me. What he actually did when it talked about the governors is King Xerxes made Nehemiah a governor. Now you forgot to cheer for him, our hero. Way to go! Woo! Praise God. Talking about rising through the ranks. He done come from cupbearer to governor. Favor. Favor. And the Bible said that king was sitting there all in his dignity, in his robes, and said his sweet little old queen was sitting over beside him. What kind of favor was that, Brother Jerry? Do you know what book comes after Nehemiah? Esther. Oh, it just occurred to you, didn't it? You mean that queen? Oh, Virginia, me and you the only one got it so far, hon. You mean that whole story of Esther and Mordecai and Haman was God putting somebody on the throne to sit beside the king so that when the request was made, the king would nod his head and say, yeah, that's where Esther calls home. I'll sure build her a place. I'll build her some gates. I'll build her a wall. Don't you know God puts people in place to get his work done? Don't you know God arranges the affairs of our lives to put people in place to get God's word, God's house Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, Olivia, and help me, sweetie. I love that little old girl right there. She's got a blessed heritage in the church, too. Had a gospel-preaching grandma. Huh? Great-grandma, too. Well, you and Brother Ford need to compare these greats The Bible said when he, when he got to Jerusalem, his spirit was stirred in him. I, I think it said he rested three days. Doesn't that what it says, Don? He rested. Must have had some jet lag. <laughs> rested three days. And then he said, I got on my horse. And when I got on my horse, I started riding And he said, I went out through the gate. Went out through the water gate, I believe he said first, didn't he, Don? The valley gate. What was the second one he went by? 
the, the door to jack a well. Yeah. And then to the dung gate. You need to go when you start rebuilding things in your life. When you start putting things back together and getting forgiveness for things that you get forgiven for. And you start trying to repair and renew and restore and rebuild and make a comeback. First, you need to go through that valley gate and come out the other end of it. Because you've come through the valley now. That second gate is the well gate where the jackal well is. There is a well that you can draw water out of. When we were, were over there, we came back a certain way from Galilee and came through the Transjordan area. And we came down to this little place Nobilus, I think is the name of that place, Nobilus. And outside that place, there's another well there, and it's called Jacob's Well. Jacob's Well. They had that thing walled up there at one time and had bars around it because they'd charge you to go in at Jacob's Well, which they charge for everything you see over there. But, glory to God. We'd been up that day toward the Lebanese border, and I walked up in the tower with the Israeli soldiers, and one of them took a submachine gun off of his shoulder, put it over on me. Now, Susie, I'm not one to carry submachine guns, but all Israeli soldiers never part with their weapons. And as we came back toward Nobilus, we stopped and picked up some hitchhikers. There's a law in Israel, anytime you see soldiers walking on a road, the law says you stop and pick them up and carry them to wherever they go. In fact, Joel, in Israel, every person, when you get 18 years old, you serve two years in the military, women and men. And everybody's under obligation to pick these people up. These soldiers, praise God. When you start talking about submachine guns and, and soldiers, then praise the Lord, doors start to open. <laughs> they start to open. Third gate, right before we go home, the Bible said that he rode through the dung gate. Oh, Lord, how deplorable. Ooh, Pastor, that sounds nasty. We all know what goes out that gate. The whole city empties its rubbish, its garbage, and its sewer system right dumped out that dung gate. Could I tell every one of you that are sitting here in these pews, your life had better have a dung gate or you're in big trouble. You've got to have some way of ridding yourself of that toxicity. You've got to have some way of getting that out of you and getting it 
taken care of in every heart in every life in every person there's need for some purging sometimes every one of us have got some things we need to get rid of sometimes and we better hope that every one of us have a way to do that I want to tell you how to do it Jesus said Cast all your care upon Him because He cares about you. There's got to be a way for you to rid yourself of that, that toxicity and get rid of all of that nastiness, all of that filth, all that slush, all of that slime. You've got to be able to get rid of that kind of stuff. And let me tell you, take it to Jesus. Take it to that cross. Take it to the person who bore the sins of the whole world and cast all of your care upon him because he cares about you. Stand with me, please. Heart, this about Nehemiah is getting better all the time. Getting better all the time because some of us need to have a rebuilding, renewal, reconstructing we need to do some re-evaluation. We need to do some things in our lives. You see, this letter that Cyrus, Xerxes, gave to Nehemiah was in the year of 445 B.C. We've got a picture in Daniel of 70 weeks. And this rebuilding of the wall commemorates the starting of the 70 weeks. Because the 70 weeks that are determined upon my people begin with the command to go forth and rebuild the walls at Jerusalem. So the 70 weeks began with the writing of the Edict of Cyrus in 445 B.C. It goes up until the end of the 69th week when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, A.D. 30. It culminated the 62 weeks plus 7 weeks is 69 weeks. We're still one short, Brother Jerry, of, of the 70 weeks. When is the one week? The one week is the week of tribulation. And in Daniel 9, 27, he says, In the middle of the week, the Antichrist will break his policy with the Jews. And he will command that you either take his number in the palm of your hand or in your forehead. But in so doing, you will speak damnation to your soul. We're in that period of time that's called the church age. It's between week 69 and week 70. In other words, before the tribulation period, there is this interval of time. It's the days of grace. It's the, uh, the church dispensation, the church age. And what Nehemiah is doing, he started the whole thing with the edict of Cyrus to rebuild the walls.
The only thing that prevents the 70th week from happening right now is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is the next event. The next event. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You mean Jesus believes in shouting? With a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, blessed be God. Only the sound of the trumpet keeps me from going home. I want to tell you one ordinary day just like this day the trumpet's going to sound. Glory to God. And what started with a little prophet named Nehemiah is going to come to fruition when all of the dead in Christ. Lisa, your mama will hail that trumpet before I do. Because the dead in Christ shall rise first. Lisa, your mama will hear that trumpet before I do. Because the dead in Christ shall rise first. Glory to God. So be faithful, weary pilgrim, the morning I can see. I'll take my cross and follow close to thee. If just a cup of water is all that I demand, if just a cup of water, yeah, be faithful, weary pilgrim, the morning I can see. Believe you can sing this song at 92 years old. I'll take my cross and follow close to thee. And that's my advice for you this morning. I'm excited about Nehemiah. What happens next? Well, next thing you know, he's got to fight the devil. Because Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite are going to come and laugh and mock and make fun. But there's a good little verse over there at the end of that next chapter. It said, so builded we the wall. Yes, Tobiah growled and fussed and stomped and threatened. Yes, Sanballat made fun and said if a fox was to trot on the wall, it would fall down. Yes, all of that. But we built the wall. I love bottom line, don't you? Bottom line is we built the wall. Glory to God. God, in Jesus' name, I ask you, with eyes that are trained upon this earth, I ask you to touch everyone that's in this room this morning. We've heard from your word. We've heard that God expects us to extract things, that we have a dung gate in our lives, that we rid ourselves 
of the slush and the slime and the embarrassment. God, in Jesus' name, I just pray that you'd move this morning with victory and that people this morning would just reach out to you, give all their care, give all their frustration, all their hurt, all their pain, all their sorrow. Give it to God and leave it there. Take their burden to the Lord and leave it there. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now in need of your grace. I pray, God, that you would cleanse me, wash me, purge me from any filthiness, and give me cleanliness and purity and holiness and righteousness in Jesus' name. Heath, you feel that back there, bro? I'm telling you, I feel that up here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, one more time. About 30 seconds worth. Best praise you got. You got it? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name, wonderful Savior. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We lift you up. We exalt your name on high. Blessed be the King of all the earth. Blessed be the Savior of the world. Blessed be the Lord who is and was and shall be. Oh, God, we bless you and we praise you. We glorify you in Jesus' holy, powerful, and righteous name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now may the God of all grace go with you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen.